Preach the word. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Normally, I say a couple of words right now, but we've already said them this morning. So I've got another phrase I'd like for us to say. I'm going to read the first line, and if you believe it, I'd like for you to read the second line with all of your heart. Ruse, <laughs> ruse the wraith. Raise the roof with how loud you say this if you believe it with all of your heart. He is risen. Amen. Amen. Thank God for that truth. We've been in a series of lessons here for four weeks on the true or false. What is the gospel? And we have been looking at three false gospels over the last three weeks. There are many false gospels. They might have a little bit of truth in them, but they are false. They are not the true gospel. And so over the last over the last three weeks, and if, you're, if you weren't here, you're not going to understand all this. You can go back and listen to it online if you'd like. The first week, we talked about the self-help gospel, and, and that some people come to Christ, and they think Jesus came just to give them a good family, and, and I'm, I just, it's not that I'm trying to say our family is the best family or anything. It's just the only family picture I had. I would have used yours if I had it, but I'm just simply trying to say this. Some people come to Jesus, they believe the gospel is, if I follow Christ, what will I get for it? My life will get better. I'll be a better husband, better wife. I'll be a better parent. We'll have a happier family. And so some people, although they might not say it out loud, believe that Jesus came sort of like a self-help book to make me a better person. The next week, we... Uh, Connor preached and did a great job preaching on, on Sunday for me, and he talked about the cheap gospel. And this was one of the props. We've got some props here that help, hopefully help you remember. And this was his, one of his props. That was easy. That was easy, is what the button says. Some people believe that about the gospel, that it's simply a head knowledge deal. It's just he had a hat that he put on, and it's just sort of something, all I need is some knowledge, and that'll be enough. That's, a, that's what the gospel is, just knowing things as opposed to transforming my life sinking into my heart and last week we talked about the legal gospel and I have a stack of books here and we had some other props that we were trying to say this there are some people who believe the legal gospel is that I will rely on things that I do whether it be that I have the right doctrine I'll rely on that to save me or I go to the right church with the right name I'll rely on that to save me or I've jumped through certain hoops in response to God and I'll rely on those things I've done to save me instead of the true gospel which is that Jesus Christ died and was buried and raised again and that's where we put our faith amen Amen. That's what we're here to talk about today is the true gospel. And it's interesting that Paul calls it in the book of Corinthians where we're about to read, he calls it the foolish gospel. Today is April Fool's Day. How many of you like April Fool's? Raise your hand if you're a person who like, okay, good, all of you, we're going to pray for you guys. I know my daughter has her hand raised. My daughter loves to prank people and she has got us so many times... And it's going to take us a lifetime to get her back for all the time she has got us. I, maybe some of you like to watch a, a TV show called The Office. How many of you watched The Office before? I'm only talking to five people. Okay, so there, it's just a story uh, about an office, and there's a guy named Jim who works in the office, and he has a co-worker named Dwight. And Jim always plays pranks on Dwight. And my favorite one that he ever did 
They work in the office and so they sell paper and they pick the phone up all day and put it down, pick it up and put it down. And Jim came in every morning for several months and he put coins inside the handset and he'd put another coin every, every day in. So over months, this thing got heavier, but Dwight never realized it because it was a little at a time. And after several months, Jim came in one morning and he took all the coins out at once and Dwight answered the phone and hit himself in the face and got a black eye. That is a great prank. You should try that at work sometime if you have phones to answer. I worked, uh, when I was in high school, I worked at a restaurant and there was a guy who worked there who was in college and he loved to prank people and I could, tell, I could sp spend all day telling you the funny pranks he did. But one of the pranks that he did that, that was really a good one, he loved to prank the new teenagers who came to work. He would take a $10 bill and he would go out to the back door where he came in and he would tape the $10 bill on the ground and all of us who worked there knew when you see the $10 bill, you better get through there fast, get in the door because the new guy would come and he would see the $10 bill taped and he would walk up and he would stop. Oh, there's a $10 bill and he had bend over to get it and our manager would be on top of the roof with a five gallon bucket of water and he would just douse the new guy. Now, if you're looking to get fired at your job, that's, that's a good way to go out right there. Some people love pranks. And I'll tell you this, I have met some people who believe that Easter is a prank. I've met some unbelievers and some, some skeptics and some scoffers and some atheists who laugh when April Fool's falls on this weekend. They like that possibility that they would say it is foolish. It is foolish to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They would call us foolish today if you're a person who believes that. There are some things in this world that are just too good to be true. They just are too good to be true. And some things, people try to trick us and scam us and sell us, and they are foolish things that people tell us sometimes. And some people are fools, aren't they? They'll believe anything. That's how those people make their living. But what about us in this room? Are we fools? Are we fools to believe what we believe about Jesus Christ? Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do is we're going to pray today and then we're going to read from 1 Corinthians, we're going to see what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So bow your head with me and let's pray today. God, we just want to begin today by saying thank you for being such an awesome, amazing, almighty creator God. Thank you, God, that you're so powerful that you spread the heavens out like a tent. I've spread out a tent before, God. You spread the universe out that way. The universes, the heavens. Thank you for your might to speak a word and creation shows up. And thank you this morning, most of all, for your power that raised Jesus from the dead. We praise you, God, for your power today. And Jesus, we want to stop right now and pray to you and thank you for being willing to go to the cross for us. Thank you for going for my sins, for the sins of of the world, God. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that for us. We are eternally grateful. Thank you for being a good king, the king of our lives and the king of this universe. And we have great confidence today because you are in control. 
And so we are not full of anxiety and scared and worried because we know that you, Jesus, are good and you are king. And Holy Spirit, I just want to talk to you and say, I ask you to do your greatest work here today. You do great works all over this world. We read about your great works throughout the New Testament, throughout the Bible. But the greatest work of changing a heart, of a person believing the gospel, would you do that work today? Would you draw people unto you today, God? I am not so foolish to think that every single person here believes this gospel. So I pray today that you would do your greatest work this morning, Holy Spirit. Draw people to you for salvation. And we want to always pray for another group of believers. We thank you for the Nazarene church this morning. We thank you for their partnership in this gospel. That they also this morning are saying, he is risen, he is risen indeed. That they believe this and they base their lives on it. And they are doing their very best to follow you. And I pray for Rick today that you'll give him boldness to preach this pure, true gospel. And I pray for Sue. I thank you that you spared her life. Thank you for the miracles I've heard about how you spared her life in that car accident. And so I pray for Sue and Rick together. Help her heal quickly, God, over these next few weeks, months, days. God, thank you for this gathering of people. We love you. We love you, Lord. As Ronnie prayed, we love you so, so much. And we pray it all through the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And everyone said, Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. And you'll, you can look it up on your phone, your app. You can pull out a Bible. We've got Bibles on the pews. And uh, I'm going to read it from 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness. Let me read that one more time in case you didn't believe what I said earlier. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God, listen to this, through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, the cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in this world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God he is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God has made our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The cross, the Bible says, is foolishness to those 
who are perishing. And why wouldn't it be? It makes no logical sense. When people die, they stay dead. People don't come back to life. I mean, I know there's a few Southerners who believe that Elvis is still alive. I know that. They think he's still walking around over there somewhere at Graceland. I know there's a few of them, but they're the same people we see on some of those questionable you know, news stories that say, UFOs, they're real, man. We saw one. They took Bubba right up there. He's gone for three days. We didn't find him for three days. He's out in the hauler. And ever since we found him and brought him back, he hadn't been the same. Don't like to talk about it, neither. That's pretty good, isn't it? I'm from Oklahoma. It's not too far. Not too far. <laughs> dead people stay dead, and it's foolish to believe that dead people, that a dead person came back to life, and we're basing our whole life on it. People who are perishing say that is foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of our life it is the power of salvation. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of God is the power that saves people who are perishing. The second thing is this. Verse 23 and 24 say, the cross is a foolish stumbling block. Depending on what culture you were from in that time, it's either foolish or it's a stumbling block. Another place I think that applies really well for us in America is Paul calls the cross an offense. He says, it is offensive. That's what the cross is. And the gospel is offensive. The good news is offensive. Now you might be thinking, well, I don't understand. Why would the good news be offensive? Well, the reason the good news is offensive is because the good news starts with the bad news. You gotta have bad news first or it's not really good news. And that's how God begins with people. He starts by telling us the bad news. And so this is how God begins with people. You are lost. You are separated from God. You're an enemy of God is what he calls you. You broke covenant with him. You broke his heart. You broke your word. That's how God starts. He says that you stepped out of line. That's what happened. You walked away from the commands of God. You jumped into the cesspool of sin. You are a sinner. Every single person that has been born since Adam has the DNA of Adam. The Bible calls it in Romans 5 that we have Adam's seed. That means every person since then has had a choice. Yes, you've got a choice. You just don't have a chance. The Bible says all sin. Everybody does. And the reason is because that seed has been passed down from Adam. And so you sin sometimes and you don't even know you're sinning. You don't even have any idea that you're sinning. And sometimes your heart is just black and dark because of the iniquity of who you are. And most of the time, 
you're rebellious because you choose to do what's wrong. You know exactly what's ahead of you, where you're walking to, what you're going to do, and you choose to do it anyways. You lie to get out of trouble. You cheat so you can get ahead. You steal. I don't know, why would you steal? Because you want it. Because it's fun. You lie, you cheat, you steal. You lust because it feels good. You gossip because you want people's attention. You're hateful towards certain groups of people that are different than you because your parents taught you to be that way. You're judgmental because it makes you feel better about yourself and you overindulge in pleasure so that it'll numb the pain. And then after all that, you go home and you kick your cat. Not actually kicking your cat's okay. That's not a sin. That's all right. I'm not really sure that cats came along before the fall anyway, so that's all good. The bad news is that the wrath of God is coming because of sin. The wrath of God is coming because of you. You are the object of God's wrath. That is bad, bad news. And here's worse news. You are hell-bound because of God's wrath. And you are incapable of fixing that. You are incapable of doing anything about being hell-bound. You're not good enough. You're not, you're not nice enough. You're not religious enough. You're not righteous enough. You're not smart enough or sneaky enough or strong enough. You are not enough. That is the bad news of the Bible before the good news comes. And that is offensive to say to people in this room, you all in here, you are good people. You're good moms and dads. You're good kids. You're good workers. You pay your taxes. You are all good people. And for the Bible, for God to say to you, you are not enough. That is offensive to say that. But that is the bad news of the Bible. And here in verse 30 and 31 of what we just read, Paul tells us that people try to fix the bad news. They try to fix the bad news with false gospels, with their own efforts. People try to fix that by saying, I'm going to improve myself. I'm going to get better. That's how I'll fix the fact that I'm, I'm not enough. Or I'm going to know a lot of good stuff. I'm going to learn. I'm going to be educated. Or I'm going to get all the right answers or go to the proper church, and that will fix it. But here's the deal, folks, and we want to make this crystal clear, and we want to do it by an object lesson today. I'm sure most of you are far ahead of where we're at. We don't ever want any other gospel, false gospels that have a little bit of truth. They prop themselves up with the cross. They use a little bit of truth of the cross. We want these things to always be underneath, underneath the cross. We want these things to always be secondary to the first thing, and that is the truth of the cross. We want these things to never be propped up and use Jesus and what he did at the cross to tell a false gospel we always want 
the cross and the work of Jesus at the cross to be central right in the middle of our family here at Gateway, right in the middle of our lives. Because the true gospel, the true gospel is this. Jesus did it all. At the cross, he said, it is finished. He did it all for you, and you don't get to add anything to his work that he did on the cross on your behalf. That is how you're saved, by what he did at Calvary. You can either, you can accept it or you can reject it. You can embrace it or you can throw it to the curb. You can love it or you can hate it. But let me tell you something. You can never, ever, ever earn your salvation. You can never work for your salvation. You can never add to with your good works. You could never pay back. What a slap in God's face to say, God, I'll pay you back for what you did for me at the cross. You can't pay back anybody giving their child's life for you, much less God Almighty giving the Son of God, the perfect Lamb of God in your place. You don't get to pay it back. He did it all. And to people who are perishing, that simple message of the gospel is foolish. It's ridiculous. It's offensive. But to those of us who are being saved, this message right here, the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is power unto salvation. We, he doesn't need us, we need him every single minute. Let's stand for these next two songs and let's worship him. <clears throat> let's do this again. He is risen. He is risen Awesome. And so John had his uh, sermon memorized, and I've memorized it too, but in front of you scary people, I might forget, so I'm going to have a crutch. But uh, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 11:26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Proclaim um, in, in the Greek means katangelo, and it's used uh, a lot of times, believe it or not, in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And every time it's used in the Old Testament, it's with righteousness and, and anointing and consecration and, and holy and righteous. And in the New Testament, it's, it's usually associated with the kingdom of God or, or Jesus coming or Jesus' Jesus's righteousness and the, the, just the great things that Jesus did with His life here on earth. <clears throat> so proclaiming is, is to good news. You, you, you speak it. It's announce, preach. Um, proclaim, say, um, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. That's something that you proclaim. Um, you, you proclaim that, that your wife made these great double chocolate chip cookies. But then, like bad news, it would be the opposite of proclaiming. You bear bad news. You don't proclaim it. So, so the flip side of that is that, that those double chocolate chip cookies are going to the small group that you go to. You're not going to get to eat any of them. Um, and... Uh, <clears throat> So proclaim good news, but you bear bad news. Um, <clears throat> and we, we, know, we know good news, healing, um, saving, good works, the, 
winning state in football, that's that stuff you proclaim, that's good news. But you, and then again, you bear bad news, and we all know the bad news too. Loss of job, sickness, um, injury, car wreck, cancer. These are things that you bear. You don't proclaim that. And, and as you can imagine, it says, proclaim the Lord's death. I think Paul's confused there. You don't proclaim death. That's not something you proclaim. Why would you proclaim death? But 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, says that Paul, Paul again speaking, says that I came to you knowing nothing except Christ and Him crucified. And Galatians 6, 14 says, far be it from me to boast about anything except the cross of Christ. A death instrument. That's what I'm going to boast about, is death. And then in, in 1 Corinthians 1, what John just read to us, we preach Christ crucified. It's foolish. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. Why would we proclaim death? But we're not just proclaiming any death. We're proclaiming Christ crucified. We're proclaiming the Lord's death. Christ, Messiah. So the word Christ, the word Messiah, wasn't Jesus' second name. It was a title. It was, it was Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. And that goes all the way back to Genesis 3. Where it talks about the seed of Eve that's going to cru- the the serpent's going to strike his heel. It's going to be a fatal wound to his heel, but he is going to crush the serpent's head. This is going to come from Eve. It's going to be man. And so that we we see kings in the in the Old Testament: David, Saul, Solomon, and they all. David comes close, and man after God's own heart, but he doesn't crush the serpent's heel. And the, the opposite of that happens. He's overcome with sin. Solomon, same. The, the serpent wins in the end of their lives. <clears throat> but we, we see more prophecy of, of this king that's going to come and crush the serpent's heel that's, that's going to be in the line of David, the line of Judah, and the line of Abraham. It's going to be descendants of those. And we see that the Christ is going to come and restore Israel. Israel's been oppressed. Israel's been exiled. And they're dispersed. And, and Christ, the Christ is going to come. The Messiah is going to come and restore Israel. And we see last week, celebrating Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, and Jesus coming in, riding on a donkey. They're waving palm branches. They're putting cloaks down. He's, he's living up to all these prophecies. This is going to be the one. This is the Christ that's going to come, and he's going to restore Israel. But five, six days later, seven, six days later, five days? The next Friday, the next Friday after Palm Sunday, um, he, he's crucified. The Christ is crucified. And we proclaim that? So that's a, a good thing. We, we should proclaim somebody that's coming, that's going to crush the serpent's head, that's going to defeat sin and death once and for all. But he's crucified. That's still not something we proclaim. But the next part of that 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, until he comes again. And you guys know, John, John just told us, you, you can't come again if you're dead. But we know what we just said. He's risen. The stone's been rolled away. I think we, we had a stone. This is the tomb on stage here. And we had a stone in the entrance of the tomb and it just got rolled away. Some of you over here can't see that. But you will see it. <clears throat> He's risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. And so the Christ risen, a risen guy, and that's, that's good news to proclaim. Just some risen person. Somebody who was dead for three days. Yeah, we'll tell people about that. But the fact that it was the Christ, 
That means that he is going to crush the serpent's head. That he started that. And when he comes again, he's going to finish that. And if we share in his suffering, we share in his death, we're also going to share in his resurrection. And 1 Peter 1 tells us that we have a living hope because of Jesus being raised from the dead. And so we too have power over sin and over death and over cancer and car wrecks. And we don't have that power. God, the Christ, has that power. And he's sharing it with us. And we're conquering sin. We're putting to death sin. We're crucifying sin in our lives. And that is good news to be proclaimed. So we are, like I said, this is a tomb. We're going to take, we're going to proclaim his death until he comes. Right now, there's many ways to do that in crucifying sin and, and, and putting to death that in our lives and, and living in this hope, this living hope that we've been given. But it's also taking communion. Um, together as a body of believers. Um, that's what unites us, this cross. And so we're going to do that now. And the way that we're going to do that is you're going to enter the tomb from this side. There's two openings. It's a tunnel. Um, and you're going to enter the tomb from this side. And you're going to take of, of the bread. You're going to take the juice. And you're going to come back and you're going to sit down with that. And Dennis is going to pray for us. And we'll all take it together. Um, and if you're, you're not able to get to the tomb, get, we'll have some people at the at the stairs helping you up um, if you need that. But if you're not able to get, get up and take the communion that way, we'll have some people bringing some communion to you at the end. Um, but I'm going to pray for us real quick, and, and we'll begin that. I know you in the balcony you have a long way to go to the tomb, but hey, we believe in you. We'd love to take communion with you through that. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father God, thank you for uh, this morning, uh, this glorious morning, God, that... Uh, that uh, where the tomb was rolled away and uh, where, where you fulfilled uh, that prophecy where you, you conquered over sin and death. And God, it doesn't stop there, but you share that with us. You, we're, we're more than conquerors in Christ. We've been given new life. We've been given righteousness, living hope um, to an to a inheritance that is undefiled, uh, unfading, imperishable, kept in heaven for us. Uh, we thank you for that. Pray that right now as we proclaim your death until you come again, proclaiming um, your innocent death, we're also proclaiming your perfect life and your victorious resurrection. Um, God, I pray that that impacts our life, not only in this moment as we uh, walk through the tomb, but uh, every day of our lives we remember that. This is your son's name I pray. Amen. Hey, I am so happy that it took a long, long Long time today. That was awesome. What better thing could we take a long, long, long time to do other than remember the death, the burial, and the great resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I hope at lunch today, when you're waiting in line for an hour, and all the Baptists and the Presbyterians are all ahead of us, I hope you'll be remembering. That's all right, because we got to spend time remembering the empty tomb today and I won't soon forget this empty tomb in fact we're going to keep this up for a few weeks as we have one more series of lessons here at Gateway but let me just finish today by reading a couple of scriptures uh, the first one is Romans chapter 6 Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says the wages of sin is death that's the bad news but here's the good news the gift of God did you hear that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I have been the recipient of some 
incredibly amazing gifts in my life from my family, my parents, not just financially, but the way that they raised me and the internal resources they gave me and the way that they loved me. I've, I've experienced the same kind of great uh, lavish love on me and gift of love from my wife and from my kids and from you as a church family on different occasions. I've been given amazing gifts from some of you as a church and also individually, things that I do not deserve. Can I hear an amen? amen. John definitely does not deserve these things. But it would be inappropriate for me to say, oh, no, 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 no. No, no, I can't accept that gift from you. It'd be inappropriate for me to say, well, I'll, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back for that gift. No, those are inappropriate responses. There is one appropriate response when someone gives you a free gift. And that is to humbly say, Thank you and accept that gift. Jesus Christ paid for your free gift on this cross. And it is free to you. In fact, Revelation says this. Verse 22, chapter 22, verse 17. Let the one who is thirsty come. Anybody thirsty? Anybody tired of life in your own power? Anybody tired of life in sin, stuck in sin? Anybody tired of life full of shame and guilt? The Bible says, if you are thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift. On the count of three, everybody say those two words. One, two, three. Free the free gift of water, of the water of life. Jesus Christ offers you today the free gift of life. He rose from that tomb and he left two things there. He left your sins there. And so you ought to leave them there. Some of you today, you need to come and you need to ask, God, I need, I need my sins to be washed away. I need my sins to be left in that tomb. Because you have the power if you're a follower of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, you have the power to overcome sin. He left your sins there. The other thing he left there is he left death there. And we're still experiencing it in this earth for a little while, but he was the first fruit of resurrection. And those of us who follow him will follow him. We will never die. We will die, but we will never die because he's the resurrection. So I've been praying. I've been praying that there, maybe there's somebody who came to church on Easter because it's the thing you do in America as you go to church on Easter. And maybe you're here today and you think, I have thought all of this was foolish, but God is drawing your heart today. That's what I've been praying, is that God would draw your heart today. He's the one who does the work of salvation. And I've been praying that he might do that. And so today, the way we're gonna finish is we're gonna sing two verses of Amazing Grace and Wyatt Sparks and Jerry Sparks are gonna be right over here beside the, the tomb, uh, right where the, wall, where the rock was rolled away, right by the cross. And if you are ready to give your life to Christ, if you need prayer, you come and you see Wyatt and Jerry right over here. And if you're ready to be baptized today, we haven't been here long enough yet. We haven't. Now, some people will run out and they'll go to lunch, but some of us will stay around. If you're ready to be baptized today, we'll baptize you right in this baptistry. It'll be, a great, it'll be the greatest Easter of your life. So, if that's you today,
If the Spirit's tugging at your heart that way, you come right up here to the tomb or you come find me as we stand and let's sing. Amazing.